It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. You're listening to the music of the highly regarded saxophonist Keith Loftus. The tune is called Smoke and Mirrors and is a selection off of his fourth album as a leader titled Original State. Join me now for a conversation with Keith about his eclectic and fascinating background as well as his music. Keith, I think where I'd like to begin with you is we're going to talk a little bit about the man, and then we'll get into the music. Okay. Let me uh, ask you about the journey that began for you back in Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. Who was it or what was it that planted the seed in you that led to a growth into a life of music? Well, first of all, it was probably my brother. And my mom. My mom was a choral singer in high school. and But my brother had gotten a trumpet. And I think after a while, I asked my mom, could I play an instrument? So I asked her if I could get a, a saxophone. I'm not even sure why I said saxophone. I mean, maybe just because, you know, it's different than the trumpet. So that's where I would probably say my musical journey started was um, probably from my brother, you know, because he had a or has a great love for music. He had a great record collection of big bands, Frank Sinatra and Count Basie and um, all types of music. So it, I'll probably say my brother. That's um, where it started. You know, I, I would say, frankly, that it was destiny, especially for you picking the saxophone because you are truly a master at it. Oh, thank you. It, it, it's, it's, it's an ongoing it never ends. It's always something to learn or something to practice or something to develop. So, you know, it's always, you know, it's always a journey. Uh, I understand that when you were in high school, one of your classmates was uh, Roy Hargrove? Yes. Yes, Roy. Um, Roy was a year ahead of me. And my brother went to the same high school. So my brother was there with Roy. My brother was older. Um, so when I got there as a freshman, um, Roy was a sophomore, and um, yeah, he was. You could clearly hear his talent and his gift at an early age. Did you develop a fast friendship? I mean, most of the students there were um, amazed just by you know his sound and his gift. So we would, um, for us, I remember we would have jam sessions before school started. You know, before classes started, like around I don't know, like eight in the morning. Something like that. But yeah, we definitely hit it off. I was always, yeah, trying to get the opportunity to play with him and just pick his brain, you know, you know, back then. Well, you obviously uh, uh, not only developed a fast friendship uh, and a collaboration that developed to later where the 
two of you actually toured together. Did you actually record together? I don't recall if there was a recording. Let's see. We recorded the big band record. And his first recording of um, the funk group um, RH Factor, I recorded a song on there with him. And then unfortunately, uh, the world lost the talent and the man, uh, Roy Hargrove. Yes, that was, um, it's, it's, it's still hard to believe. We've been, um, his wife Ida has been keeping the big band and his music going at the Jazz Gallery here in New York. And it's been such a pleasure just, you know, just, you know, keeping the music alive. And it's always kind of strange, you know, because, you know, we'll be playing the music and, and you know, you can feel his presence there and, you know, and you're just remembering nights there with him. And, um, yeah, you know, it's quite emotional. Yeah, for sure, for sure. He's missed. Tell me about the fact that uh, here you are a Texas boy, and mm -hmm. you go to grammar school, high school there, and then all of a sudden in your life comes New York City uh, with the new school. How did that happen? Well, it's, it's funny. Arnie Lawrence, who I think he started the new school, and um, Ellie Howe, who was working with Arnie at the new school at the time, actually they tried to recruit uh, myself and uh, saxophonist by the name of Keith Anderson and a few of us to come to New York directly out of high school. But we we chose to stay home. And um, I went to a community college called Weatherford College for um, for two years. And then I transferred to Southern University in Baton Rouge and studied with um, the great clarinetist. Alvin Baptiste for a few years, and then I decided to um, to move to New York in 1995 and attend the new school. And then from there, you went on to uh, achieve a uh, master's degree in music, I presume, from NYU? I did, at Steinhardt School of Music. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you also teach there, or did teach there. I did teach there um, while I was... Um, Getting my master's, yeah. Um, Dave Schroeder asked me to come on faculty to teach saxophone and a few um, ensembles there at NYU, which was wonderful. Were there any particular or notable people that you began to align yourself with? Did you continue that relationship with Roy Hargrove, or did, did it begin to expand out to other people like Christian McBride or, or some of the other multitude of people that you've played with? Quite a few of the people, like like Christian, we met years ago um, at a high school competition in Chicago called Music Fest USA. You know, it was um, our big band, and we'd you know we'd heard about this trio from from Philadelphia that was amazing, and it was Christian McBride, a young Christian McBride, uh, Joey DeFrancesco, and um, John Roberts on drums. Um, so this goes back; that has to be like nineteen eighty six or seven and we met like you know as teenagers back then but yeah i mean i've been you know fortunate to to, to play with you know mcbride's big band and a few other projects um that he has but yeah that that relationship still still continues well and of course through the years i mean you've played with so many people either on tour in studio or uh, at gigs uh, in different locations, it would almost be a more appropriate question uh, to say, who is it you haven't played with? <laughs> Quite a few, actually. 
Yeah, I mean, I've been, I mean, Alan, I've been really blessed and fortunate to, to work with um, many artists in different genres. That's, um, that's what um, I kind of really love um, because, you know, music is music. As long as it's good for me, yeah, I'm, that's what I'm here for. Well, as I said earlier, I mean, you've played with so many uh, people that are jazz legends or music legends in general. People like Cedar Walton, uh, Benny mm. Carter, Bobby Shue, yep. Clark Terry, and uh, even Ray Charles. Yes, yes, yeah. That that was an amazing experience playing with Ray. I mean, I got the call. Ray's um, longtime tenor player, um, Rudy Johnson, um, had, had fell ill, and they were doing, they were getting ready to go on a European tour, and I got the call, kind of like at the last minute, to go out with them um, a good friend of mine Craig Bailey recommended me and um yeah they I, I flew to Europe and basically hit the stage <laughs> and I think I got a chance to talk to Ray maybe like maybe 10 minutes before we went on um but yeah that was yeah that was uh, amazing so somewhere in the mix or the scheme of everything that's been going on in your life you also spent 13 years of your life performing uh, at the Carlisle Hotel, which is probably one of the standout uh, venues in New York City. Was it all with uh, the uh, the vocalist and pianist that you worked with, uh, Chris? Chris Gillespie. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um, it's the funny story. My cousin, great alto saxophonist Brad Lely, who actually um, teaches at University of North Texas, he, he was playing with Chris there for a while as well and then he would go out on the road so i would sub for him uh, quite a bit and then after a while um i think that's when brad had gotten the gig in north texas and then i started playing with chris regularly there to carlisle yeah yeah it was it was a great time it was a fun time let me ask you uh, about uh, before we jump into some of the music that i really want to get to the meat of the matter with you about is the fact that you earned your master's in compositional studies, but also uh, as, uh, I guess, uh, as a a sub category, uh, you uh, studied film scoring, and you've done some of that. I did, yeah. Um, Actually, a good friend of mine, two good friends of mine, uh, George Fontanet and Kenyatta Beasley, were there when I kind of came in, and they were like, hey, you know, you may want to take some of the film classes and study with um, this great orchestrator by the name of Sonny Kampanik. And, um, yeah, I'm so glad I did. Yeah, because that, you know, that that's just another aspect of what we do and getting to, to sit down and score a student film or, or a commercial or something like that. Yeah, that was, um, that was really intriguing for me. I was like, yeah, this is great. So th- there was no, uh, I guess, desire or maybe uh, an interest in becoming somebody like Dave Grusin, who has scored so many things uh, in the world of music and film. Uh, was there ever a moment where you sat down and said, you know, uh, maybe I should uh, become more the film score musician than the performing musician? Right. For for a hot second, my wife and I were thinking about moving to California, like right after I graduated from NYU. Um, and it's funny, I mean, she gradu- uh, graduated there from the 
NYU as well. Um, she went to the acting school there. Um, yeah, but it was a hot minute that we were thinking about moving to LA and I was going to pursue more, more. Of it. And then I think I got, I started touring with Abdullah Ibrahim and some other people and kind of got tied up in that for like a few years and, and started doing more recording. So yeah, but then, but yeah, I mean, I still dribble and dab, you know, when I can mm-hmm. with scoring, you know. How much of you is uh, devoted to composition? No, composition is very uh, important to me. It, yeah, it's um, like the um, the new record, Original State. It's that was one of the main focuses is to to create um, to do more original work and share that people. I'm usually, you know, playing standards, but um, I just wanted to start producing, you know, more of my original work. Which I think, you know, for most of us, that's that's kind of the goal. Yeah, I'm, no, just yeah, definitely compositions for me. It's um, it's um, where it's it's where I'm going, and that's where I think that you know, for most of us, that's where you know it leads to is you know you can composing your own music and and it does. Uh, and speaking of the music, why don't we uh, move along into that and and start with something you've already alluded to, and that was original state. That was a recording you put out in July of 2021. Mm-hmm. This was your fourth as a leader? Yes, yes. Yeah, that was the fourth recording. Yeah, it's, yeah it was... Um, I hadn't recorded in a while, and um, I started getting the bug to, um, to write more and um, put something out. So that was, um, that's how that started. And I just really kind of wanted to focus on originals. And um, I wanted mainly I wanted to do a record that um, that sounded like those recordings that we all grew up loving, you know, either, mm-hmm. be it, you know, you know, I'm a big Wayne Shorter fan and John Coltrane fan. And, you know, just the sonically, the sound of those recordings, you know, be it Rudy Van Gelder's or or on Impulse, just the set, just the sound of those records really intrigued me and I just love those sounds and uh, I said you know what I want to do a record in that type state of you know just a raw you know the musicians in one room mm-hmm. um, and we just basically basically you know kind of do a live recording and hopefully that that was what we captured and the, the feel of original state and you did so in, in such an incredible fashion to where you gave a, a lot of wiggle room and latitude to your uh, your your quartet to, to the point where uh, it was like, let's sit down and play and we'll see what happens. That was basically, that was basically it. I mean, I really wanted to be organic and have that, that type feeling mm-hmm. of, you know, you know, some of those records that, you know, we grew up loving, you know, that open, that openness and spontaneous, you know, where the synergy is, is, is there in the room. Well, and it, of course that would take, uh, assembling a, a rather special group of musicians to do that. And for original state, you had to have done that with, uh, 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 John Chin on piano. You got uh, Eric Wheeler on the bass. Uh, you've got uh, drummer Willie Jones the third, and then of yes. course there's the uh, the master Keith Loftus on the sax. 
Uh, I don't know about that, but yeah, it, 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 I was really blessed and fortunate to, to, to assemble these guys on that particular day to get, you know, cause they're all on the road usually. And, mm-hmm. um, they, they were available and I was like, guys, listen, you, I want to, I want this to feel like we're playing now and it's not overly rehearsed or anything like that. I just wanted to get to capture this organic feel of the quartet. And um, they did a great job, and um, it came out exactly the way it's supposed to come out. And then some. Let's talk about uh, a few of the uh, tracks on that recording. And you kicked the whole thing off with a tune called Oak Cliff. Is that something, mm-hmm. uh, is that in the Texas area? I wrote that for Roy Hargrove back in 2001, and that's the neighborhood that we grew up in, in Dallas. And uh, I think you did him justice. Uh, there, there's no question uh, about it. I appreciate it, Alan. Thank you. So this one is is kind of a swinging tune, uh, and mm-hmm. it does have a, a really incredible solo with with your drummer Willie Jones. Yeah, yeah. Willie um, opens the tune with uh, his drum solo. Of course, you, you pay tribute to a lot of the people that are in your life uh, through your music. And on this recording, you pay a tribute to a tune that was written for your wife. Yes, yes. That is um, probably one of my favorites off the record. Yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite tunes. So it's Brigitte's Smile that was written by you for your wife. Uh, tell me mm-hmm. about that tune, though, in terms of what you wanted it to say about her and how. Well, it's it's the the melodic line, the melody of it um, is really what um, captures for me, and um, harmonically as well. Actually, it, it's actually somewhat of a, a tricky tune harmonically, but um, but yeah, the melody, yeah, just picturing her, you know, when, when we're together, and you know, the emotions and that um, that brings it out. But then on this one, uh, there there is a uh, recording uh, or a tune that is not your own, but you have retooled this to a point where. You just play beautifully on an Isley Brothers classic, For the Love of You. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing to listen to Ronald Isley singing that, 
But then to hear Keith Loftus play it. Yeah, that it listen, I'll just say this. I mean, growing up, um, my uncle Charles Taylor is a drummer or was a drummer, and he they used to have a band, and I would go listen to them rehearse. And you know, they would do covers of, you know, the Gap Band, the Isley Brothers, and you know. And um as I grew older, the the Isley Brothers, that tune was always stuck in my head. And a friend of mine had a, a arrangement of it one year. We did it on a gig. And I was like, hey, can I hold on to this? Hmm. You know, this is one of my favorite tunes. He was like, sure. I was like, man, I mean, I think I may want to, you know, record it one day. So when we were in the studio recording Original State, I brought it in. And um, it was one of the last ones that we did. And um, I just explained it to Willie and the guys. I was like, hey, listen, you know, uh, we're going to do it in three. And I kind of want to put like a maybe somewhat of a kind of a cold trainish type vibration to it. Yeah, so that's, yeah, it, it came off really well, and yeah, I'm a huge Isley Brothers fan, Yeah, so that was that was great to to get a chance to play that one. That's uh, a great tune to uh, pick as well. Well, the, the rest of the album, Original State, is really quite amazing. You've got Falls Beauty, you've got the intangible Weaver of Dreams. Weaver James, yeah, yeah. that was, a, that's a, Victor Young. It's it's that kind of an album, and uh, bravo, nice work. Thank you, thank you. Speaking of nice work, uh, continuing with your music, uh, you hooked up with a couple of uh, very interesting, beautiful, and wonderful people by the name of Marcus and Gene Baylor. Oh, yeah. Also yeah. known as I, the know Baylor them. Project. I think the you know Baylor them. Project. <laughs> That's right. So That's how right. did that come about? Well, it came about... Well, first of all, Marcus and I moved to New York around the same time. We were at the new school. Um, we got there in 95. 
and you know we you know over time you know after i think it was it was about 10 years ago he called me and he asked me if i could um perform with him and his wife at smoke they were they were starting um a residency there so that's how it started i know after the first or second time that we played i was like hey man this this feels really good and i think it should um it definitely should grow and develop which it it surely did but just the the whole vibration with gene and marcus is is really i mean first of all they're beautiful people and mm -hmm. um great musicians but yeah the what what they brought to the music to share with the world i think is such a beautiful thing spiritually it's it's you know they're both very powerful and the music you know that they create or that we all create is um i think it's it's um it's powerful and um it's inspiring every time we you know we get together and get to share the music but yeah they're great people beautiful people that's why i love them you not only perform with them but you've recorded with them as well mm-hmm yep yeah those are yeah the recordings yeah that's the first recording uh the journey that was a big pro well both of them are um pretty big projects but that was that was a big one because they had a lot of musicians involved um kind of a few kind of different genres but um they just you know marcus and gene have that that vision on how to shape all the sounds that they they present in a way that's 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 tasteful it's always tasteful it's always beautiful and it really you know is inspiring well uh and you're also on generations with them as mm -hmm. well that was yeah we had a great time doing that video um for the the song we swing one two one two We sing so hard, sometimes they don't understand It's just the way we live, it's in the leveling In everything we do, we gotta tell our life story It might be the blues or pop, how we rock or hip hop Oh yes, a little bit the church and don't forget to do up That's how we swing, we swing That's a great tune. I absolutely love that song. It, it's just uh, so much fun. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> so I, speaking of collaborations, uh, I, I can't let you go without asking you about one that you are involved with, and that's uh, you're working with the vocalist and educator uh, Ruth Naomi Floyd. Uh -huh. And the project is called the Frederick Douglass Jazz Works. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that one. Well, Ruth created, she underscored music to Frederick Douglass's words, either poems or works like that. So it's basically, she has a quintet mm -hmm. and with a narrator where basically we're playing music and she's put she uses his words to create her her compositions and um it's a educational component as well it's just not just you know just this body of work but it you know we 
you know, she travels all around the world and speaks about Frederick Douglass and other great people like that. Well, he certainly was uh, a pinnacle uh, within the the world of uh, activism uh, and just being a, a wonderful orator, a statesman, a theologian. Uh, and his words are, are words that are absolutely amazing and still to this day are appropriate. Yeah, um, I think Ruth is releasing the, uh, the recording this year. Um, yeah, we did a whole record of you know, this, this project, which is, um, was amazing. Mm-hmm. And she has some amazing musicians. I was going to ask you that, uh, that it was coming out as a recording. I know you've been performing it at different places. Yeah, she's, yeah, we've been working on the recording for the last few years. And I think, I think she's pretty much done with it now. So I think, I think she's trying to release it this year. And I'd like to direct some of our listeners to go to YouTube and watch the video, uh, and get a sampling, uh, of, uh, of what all of you do on that recording between Ruth, yourself, uh, James Weedman, uh, Matthew Parrish, and uh, Mark Prince, who's the drummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a YouTube recording of the song called Press On. Press On. That I, I, I'm at a loss for words. Uh, I listen mm-hmm. to that. It's 11 minutes long, but you get so immersed in it yeah, and it opens with you and closes with you, but in between you hear Frederick Douglass's words and, and other standouts from uh, the ensemble, uh, and then the the vocals from Ruth, uh, which are stunning, absolutely yeah, stunning. I mean, she is stunning, um, and she's put a lot of energy and and work into this project. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, when she she's another one. When 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 she when she's in that element and we're we're presenting the the music, it it definitely the the energy just and the spirit just kind of just kind of takes takes over. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful beautiful project. Let me ask you, uh, what's on the horizon? What's coming up next for you? You know what's coming up next is the the quartet will probably be be doing a bit more um, this year and into next year. Uh, but there's a project that um, I've been meaning to do for a few years now that um, hopefully this coming year I can kind of start on it. I love playing ballads, so hopefully. I'll be able to start on a balance record coming up this year, uh, maybe with um, maybe a few guest singers and maybe with strings, maybe like a small, you know, like a string quartet or something like that. But that's that's um, that's kind of what I'm looking at for this coming year. In the meantime, how can people learn more about you and the music? Oh, just they can go to uh, KeithLoftus.com. Keith Loftus through I'm on all the social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Yeah, but yeah. And um, yeah, check out the music. and Let me know what you think. Absolutely. And uh, in closing, uh, I will say that there is a description of you on your website that says, Keith Loftus has been described as one of the most lyrical and compelling jazz saxophonists of today. And you are indeed just that, sir. And thank you for sharing this time with us. Alan, I so appreciate you. And thank you for being our guest on All That's Jazz. Oh, uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with saxophonist Keith Loftus. We'd like to thank Ben Sedrin for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song. And visit us again next time for another interesting conversation on All That's Jazz. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, including Podbean, Apple Podcast, and Spotify, as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net.